0: up Broncos country. What's up Broncos country.
1: It's Phil Lindsey.
2: Justin Simmons here. This
1: is Alexander Johnson. Hey I'm Vaughn Miller and you're listening to The Neutral Zone.
2: Hello and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. Really the best way to describe this person is my everything. It's at Eric DeLala.
3: Bill, what happened yesterday?
2: Uh, uh, a rough outing for the Broncos. Uh, fortunately, the sun did come up today. I had some uh, serious doubts whether it would. And uh, we're about to break it all down here on this episode.
3: It, yeah. We'll do our best, Bill. I'm already pretty broken down, I would say.
2: <laughs> uh, for the viewers watching on YouTube, you might notice that uh, Eric's got a little bit of a scruff going on. Uh, Are you trying to go grow a goatee?
3: Uh, I will shave when we win again. Got it.
2: So a full beard. (laughs) 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 Only kidding. Only kidding. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us here on the Neutral Zone. We've got a great show in store for everybody. We'll be talking about, guess what, Eric? What's that? Drew Locke the Broncos mm. quarterback uh, heard some interesting comments from Vic Fangio today on this Monday, uh, whether or not uh, it could be beneficial for Locke to watch uh, a game maybe. And then also if he sees improvements from Drew Locke. So we'll dive into that a little bit. And then uh, also what's going on with Philip Lindsay, only four carries against the Raiders. Uh, is it something physical? Is it more than that? Do the Broncos have a commitment to running the ball. We'll get into that a little bit. And then, of course, we'll get to your emails and voicemails. Uh, neutral Zone Nation has some opinions, Eric, and uh, we'll dive into those as
3: well. Sounds perfect to me.
2: All right. Well, let's get right to it, Eric. Uh, a tough adding for Drew Locke, four interceptions most of his career against the, Oak, against the Las Vegas Raiders. Eric, do you think that – There could be some benefit to Drew. Maybe it's confidence-wise. Maybe it's just a different perspective to uh, not starting the next game, I guess. I don't know how else to say
3: that. (laughs) To bench him is what you're saying. I I don't want to use those words. You love those words. Um, Well, first of all, it sounds like that might happen without even, you know, a decision based on play being made because he – Apparently has a rib injury that's going to make his status for practice be in doubt, his status for the game be in doubt. So he might get some time to, uh, to watch, even if that's not the coach's decision. Uh, but the short answer is no, Phil. I don't think there's any real benefit to uh, benching him, to sitting him down, whether it's a game or two. I thought Vic Fangio was spot on when he said he's watched enough. He watched a bunch of games, 10 or 11, last season. Uh, and then had several other games this year where he got to watch he's got to play Phil and to me there's no real benefit to him not playing I realized that the effort was poor on Sunday Um, you know I I think to that uh, the Carl Nassib interception there I think it was in the third quarter maybe the fourth um, where he just did the exact same thing he did against the Falcons where he threw off his back foot and was picked off and you don't see any growth there. And it, it was a bad, bad interception. But but Phil, what, what's the alternative, I guess, in my mind? If you are the true future of this organization, and maybe we talk about that more in a second about, you know, what's the likelihood of that, but you've got to play through stretches like this because a guy like uh, Russell Wilson, who's playing not to his standard right now, they're not going to say we're going to shut you down for a few weeks. you got to play through it. you got to figure it out. That's part of this. Um, and then the other thing is that the alternative is, is probably Brett Ripon or Blake Bortles or Jeff Driscoll. This team now at three and six is not in a real position to make the playoffs. So you've got to figure out what you have with Drew and, and know what the, what you're dealing with going into 2021 and, and sitting Drew doesn't seem like it helps that cause. Uh,
2: you alluded to it here, uh, but uh, this is what Vic had to say on Monday about whether or not, Uh, it could help Drew by watching from the sidelines?
1: Well, I just think he's at the point now where he's watched a lot. You know, last year he's out for 10 weeks, 11 weeks, and uh, did a good bit of watching then. Um, Got to finish the season last year. He uh, missed uh, three games this year. You know, got to do a lot of watching then. Um, I think he's at the point where he's got to play to get through this little funk that our entire team is going through, not just offense and um, for him to improve and for him to grow.
2: Eric, I'm not sure if it's just a little funk, it might be a little bit more than that uh, going on with this team, but uh, here's my question to you, Eric. Um, at the beginning of the season, it felt like to me, there were not really any doubts about whether or not Drew was going to be this guy, the guy moving forward, you know, I, uh, I, They went out and got a bunch of weapons for him. They were surrounding him with talent, giving him every opportunity to succeed. It seemed like they were all in behind Locke. Now, you know, fast forward to this point, you know, after week 10 of the season, now there's doubt. And uh, that to me is a little bit concerning, just that uh, now we've gotten to the point of saying, well, we need to see what we got in Drew Locke. Versus, okay, how can we make sure that Drew has a really long, successful career in Denver? Because that to me is the crux of the question right now. If you're sold that Drew is the quarterback moving forward, there actually might be some argument here uh, for him to, you know, take a game off and just maybe boost his confidence in a strange way that might actually boost his confidence by getting a different perspective, maybe getting a chance to refocus. And, you know, right now, it seems like maybe he's thinking a little bit too much out there. Just let him take a breather and uh, get, you know, re a regroup and a reset. But, I agree with you, Eric, though. If you are in the position where you're still saying, hey, we need to see what this guy's capable of, we need to see if he's still a quarterback of the future, if you're in that camp, then definitely you've got to let him play.
3: Yeah, Well, a few things there. One, the NFL is not the MLB. It's not the NBA. When a guy gets in a little bit of a funk, you don't normally just sit him out, particularly when it's at the quarterback position. There are times... I mean, earlier this year with the Rockies, Arenado was in a little bit of a slump there for a while, and they sat him out a game or two, and he came back, and he was fine. It doesn't happen.
2: The couple of examples that you've given so far, Russell Wilson, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, Nolan Arenado, one of the best MLB players. I mean, you got to compare these guys to – got to compare Drew to someone more uh, on the same level here.
3: Well, if yeah, you want but to make I mean, the comparisons. like Russ, I'm not using uh, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. I do think Russell Wilson is in a class below that. I mean, they're that's part of it, too, that, you know, guys at Drew's level are not necessarily. I mean, what what quarter like Jared Goff, for example, is that a better example? He has not, not been. Even. I mean,
2: okay. you keep going down.
3: I well, don't know. I mean. I mean, Drew yes. is currently, Drew, the passing offense is currently the worst in the NFL. So there's not a way to compare him to somebody if you don't want, like, Sam Darnold was not benched. Is that, is that work? Yeah. He's not playing because go. he's, there he's not go. playing because he's hurt. So okay. that's a little bit of a different example. Um, going back to what you said before, though, I'm, my take at least coming into this year and how I read the situation wasn't, that the Broncos were making a commitment to Drew for this season. And they were doing everything they possibly could to put him in a position to succeed so that they could get an evaluation of him. With all these weapons they had around him, with Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Albert O., an improved offensive line, that was supposed to give you kind of, hey, here's everything Drew needs to succeed. Now let's see if he can do it. And I I never thought that there was a doubt that he was going to be the quarterback for 2020. But I, I do think people said, he's got to prove in 2020 that he's the guy for the next five years. And so I think he still is trying to prove that. And unfortunately, Phil, what we've seen the last few weeks, I now, if you think about like that New York Times confidence meter that they have that wavers back and forth, I think the needle is probably now tilting toward Drew not being the guy for the next five to 10 years. Doesn't mean it's impossible that it flips back, but he is in a rut where – he's made some of the same mistakes again and again. And both he and Vic have said there is some improvement, but we need to see more of it here. And uh, certainly I think if, if Drew plays the way he did against the Raiders or the Falcons for the rest of the season, I would think the Broncos would have to seriously consider either drafting somebody or making a trade for somebody or signing whatever free agent might be out there. I mean, I mean, this this particular level of quarterback play is not sustainable.
2: Yeah, they, I mean, there was no way that no matter how good the other players played yesterday, if Drew was going to play like that, the team had no chance, you know. And I think that there is an argument. I get that the quarterback position is unlike any other position in sports, You know, but there is an argument to be said that if another player at a different position played like this, they would have reduced playing time, you know, and I'm not sure how you sell the rest of the team on just saying, hey, look like guys were three and six. Um, We just, you know, the rest of these seven games, you guys got to go out there and play hard, but really for us. It's just about determining if Drew Locke is healthy, is, is the guy moving forward. I don't know how you sell that, Eric.
3: Well, I think if you're a veteran, the way you look at it is the Broncos have tried kind of stopgap measures for a couple of years. They tried Trevor Simeon, who, you know, he's probably the second best quarterback they've had since Drew, or, you know, what Drew could be, I guess. Uh, Paxton obviously didn't work out, but he at least was an investment. To the future, Joe Flacco was sort of a a short-term solution. Case Keenum, uh, you could argue that that was supposed to be a long-term solution that didn't work out. But I think guys in the locker room are smart enough to understand you don't win consistently year after year unless you have a really good quarterback. And so if you're you're Vic, you know, it's, hey, we're all not playing well, but we've got to stick behind Drew because I still don't doubt that Drew has the potential to be the guy. He has the talent. He's shown certain throws there a time when you're like, wow, hey, he can be that guy. It's just he's got to get out of this rut, get past this, and show that it's just a blip as opposed to defenses have figured it out by blitzing because right now, anytime he faces pressure, it has not gone well. Um, but, you know, if you're a veteran, I think, one, you have to just be professional and realize it's your job to go out there and play hard and also realize that if this team wants to get back to the point where you're consistently competing for a playoff spot, You've got to find an answer at quarterback. I mean, so look at the look at the wild card standings, for example.
2: Yeah, the, you all got quarterbacks there.
3: Yeah, the, there is no team right now, really in the league, uh, except for maybe the Bears, but certainly in the AFC, no team has a winning record if they don't have a quarterback. I mean, you're looking at even the Dolphins. Tua looks strong. Derek Carr has played really well. Ryan Tannehill and Philip Rivers are probably toward the bottom end of those those tiers, but are still playing good football. I mean, it all comes down to the quarterback position. And so all you have to do is say, Hey, we've got to figure this spot out. And if that means a few more short-term losses, we're going to kind of, we're going to take that beating and, and move on from it.
2: And I think that that is what is frustrating about Drew is that, you know, he'll make some throws where you're like, wow, that was amazing. You know, uh, to start that game, they got him out of the pocket. They got him moving around a little bit. He was making good throws, had a nice throw to Jerry Judy, had a nice throw to Tim Patrick near the sideline there on back-to-back plays. And you can see what he's capable of. You know, you're like, okay, this guy's got the toolbox. But then he'll make a, you know, a bad decision there right before halftime where you just can't make that play. You got to know that what the situation is. You know, you know, you got to know what the score is. You got to know how much time's left. They had a timeout left. They could have easily thrown the ball short of the goal line and, and then seen if the guy could have run in or if they could have, and then they could have called a timeout if he was tackled short, you know, there was just a lot of different things where, you know, it's part of being a young quarterback in this league where, Hey, okay, that's a new scenario. Let me, let me write that down. I'll remember that next time. But you do see the talent you do see the potential like we've talked about but you just can't cost your team a game the way that he played yesterday you know uh you can have interceptions you can make mistakes here and there but you can't play where you're the sole reason
3: yeah and really after that play Philly like it got out of hand before the Broncos even got the ball back and because we were we were talking about this we were tweeting about it when a team scores before halftime and then gets the ball first, it's a it's a major advantage. And it's a lot of the time why teams defer to start the game. And the Broncos could have taken the lead. And then if the Raiders go on a, you know, what was it, a 11-play field goal drive, it's not, it's not all that big of a deal because then the yep. game is tied. But what happens is you throw that pick. They go on a super long drive. You go three and out and put an exhausted defense right back on the field. And then that's where we saw the Raiders offense from last year kind of show up where instead of two or three yards from Josh Jacobs, which is what he was getting in the first half, it's five, it's six, it's seven. You're making these big third down conversions. And then, you know, the uh, the half, or excuse me, the third quarter comes to a close. And now you're down two touchdowns again going into the fourth quarter. And you've had the ball for 50-something seconds since that interception. And, and so, you know, I, I wrote this yesterday, Philly, you can't, there are a lot of things that went wrong after that. And maybe the Broncos still did have a chance in the second half, but that end zone interception was a real turning point because of the couple of things that happened next. And you look back and you think, well, maybe those things don't have quite as big of an impact if Noah Fant doesn't get called for holding, which by the way, so I, I, didn't like that call. I yeah, thought of course that, not. Uh, they bailed the safety out there. Uh, I thought Noah had him sealed nicely. And uh,
2: well, a couple you know, of things on it. One, He probably didn't need a block even as much as he did. He just sort of needed to get in the guy's way. So that's one thing. And then, two, yeah, he sold the holding. You know, he got his arms out flailing, you know, like that. That's how you sell holding in the NFL, and he did a good job of it.
3: And Drew probably could have run to the end zone faster, too. He kind of (laughs) jogged a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's true, too. Yeah, amazing how some of these games can come, can come down to the one situation there, but when you're talking about a 7-point swing in a really close ball game at that point and then you go into halftime, you stew about that, your emotions are, you know, all over the place, and it's hard to win games when you do that. Uh, Eric, I think that uh you know, we can get to our next point here on Drew Locke now and that is okay, if you want him to play and you want him to see if this guy's the, the quarterback of the future here, you need to see improvement. It's, it's one thing if he's playing and getting better, but you're still losing, you can live with that. You could say, look, this guy's getting better. We're heading on this long-term trajectory where we feel like it's going to be a good thing. But if you're regressing and you're going the opposite direction, that's a whole different ball game. Vic Fangio was asked if he's seen improvements this season from Drew compared to what he saw last year, and here was his answer.
1: I see it. Um, you know, when you go back and look at the, the four games or five games that he played last year outside of the uh, Houston game, the games were pretty low-scoring ones, even the ones we won. So I, I see definite improvement. Um, there's no question he has the talent to go out there and do a good job for us. Um, He's just going through the growing pains of being a young quarterback. We're going through the growing pains of adjusting the offense to him. But I definitely see improvements.
2: Now, Eric, that might seem sort of a strange comment. I think if I was just listening to that, I'd say, what is he talking about, you know? But I think that if you examine it a little bit closer, which obviously Fangio has, you do see some signs of improvement and it, to me, it's kind of like what Drew Locke had to say after the game. He said, yeah, I feel like I'm improving, but every game, it seems like something different is popping up and it's a glaring error. And then you just focus on that. He said, that's what it's like being a quarterback in this league. You know, you fix one thing and then something else pops up. It's kind of like a, a leaky ship, a leaky boat.
3: I just want to clarify. So when you said, if I were listening to this, that would be my reaction. Is that your reaction or that you're putting yourself in someone else's shoes who would be. reacting?
2: I, OK, this is a couple of layers deeper. Well, <laughs> yeah, I heard it. You, first. You like to him, do this. And I thought, oh, interesting. And then I was saying then I put myself in the position of the neutral zone listener. And if you just heard those comments for the first time while you're driving home, you maybe you swerved off the side of the road a little bit. Hopefully you didn't, you know, hopefully you weren't in the middle of a huge bench press or a squat and you heard that. And then you stumbled over, you know, hopefully that's not what happened.
3: Yeah. Cause you do have a, a knack, I would say for saying, I can understand why someone would say bench drew lock. And then when people say, Phil, you need to calm down. You're like, I never said that.
2: Are you calling me a certain kind of
3: gardener right now? <laughs> You uh, you know your way around the hedges, I think.
2: <laughs> okay, here's what I'll say. Uh, here's my official stance on this. I do think there are some areas where I do see improvement, but sometimes. Well, what?
3: What are they? Because I, you know, neither Drew nor Vic gave any specific examples, which I think if you're a, a casual fan, that makes it difficult because you're kind of just taking them at their word.
2: Okay, there's a couple of times where he. Th- took a check down where I felt like, okay, maybe that was a smart move where you didn't try to force something, potentially creating a turnover. Uh, You did that. Maybe you did that three or four times, but the one time you didn't do that, it really hurt you. So then you're like, okay, there's some growth there where you're like, okay, he's learning to understand the flow of the game a little bit. And then boom, right before halftime, he makes a colossal error. So then you're like, gosh, you were doing so well with this but then you just have this giant mistake and it overshadows all the other checkdowns you did, you know, or, you know, I feel like, okay, he knows that he's getting pressure. And then a couple of times there, he was rolling out and he was throwing accurately. And I was like, okay, like it seems like he's stepping into his throws. He's feeling confident with the ball and he's making, he's delivering these throws. And then, Like you mentioned, uh, the third interception there, he's falling back and he's throwing. And, of course, that's going to get a lot of attention that, hey, you're falling back again. You're, as Pat Shermer called them, fadeaways. That that gets the attention. And that just sort of uh, negates all the other things you were doing well. You know, his footwork was actually okay a large portion of that game. But a couple of times that he didn't do it, they're huge mistakes.
3: Yeah, leave the fadeaways to Jokic. Yeah, exactly.
2: I like that, Eric. You like that? Jokic does that little. Or do you, do you uh, want
3: you me know. to pick like an NBA player that's like closer to Drew Locke Since you don't like comparisons, when the yeah, who people... would,
2: in your opinion who's an NBA player? You probably <laughs> couldn't even name somebody like that.
3: Well, yeah, the, the part of it, people use comparisons to like get people to understand, and you're like pick a really obscure yeah, no, player from the MLB. Please. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, like an Alex Caruso, is that still too?
2: Oh, gosh, jeez.
3: I'm not going um, there. Uh, no, you know, some things I saw, I think Drew, up, op- and this is compared to last year, I think Drew and the offense operate the two-minute offense a lot better than they did a year ago. I think he's more comfortable in that. I think generally, maybe not uh, every game this season, but they've responded better to three and outs with being able to then piece together uh, some semblance of a drive uh, the next time I think they've been able to overcome mistakes, you know, not, not overall, but in individual drives last year, if there was a holding penalty or if there was a false start or something that kind of just ended the drive, I think there are times when they're better at that this year, but you're right, Philly, it does feel like that, like a leaking ship sort of situation where you plug one hole, Uh, you know, maybe this week it's knowing when to throw the ball away. And then the next week it's, you know, Hey, did you read that? Uh, that pressure appropriately, or did you move to your second or third receiver? And there's just a a lot right now. And, um, it doesn't help drew that every other young quarterback that, or almost every other young quarterback that we're seeing right now is somehow handling those things. And so that's where you get into the questions of, is he the right guy long-term? And I did see one take yesterday, Phil, that, uh, Someone tweeted, like, you need to give Drew Lock time. He's only played 12 games. Lots of young quarterbacks struggle. And they, like, copy and pasted that and said, Paxton Lynch only played X games. Young guys struggle, blah, blah, blah. And i just like to say the potential, at least on the field and being able to do it in an NFL game, we didn't see anything anywhere close with Paxton to what we're seeing with Drew. And I think Drew has already established that he uh, has some of the qualities to be the guy that – maybe paxton didn't and so you know you can't just say you can't just give up on a guy after 10 games just because it didn't work out with somebody else you, you have to evaluate everybody separately and i do still think there's a chance he can turn it around even if it hasn't looked pretty
2: yeah it, it's not fair to drew that just because he happened to get drafted to the same place as paxton lynch that you're comparing these two i mean they're not even the same type of quarterback style of quarterback i mean uh Pax and Lynch had a ton of physical potential, but it just was clear that his passion for the game was not there. You know, uh, Drew, on the other hand, has a ton of passion, a, a ton of leadership skills, a ton of physical tools. I'll say this, Eric, you know, you uh, not you, but a lot of people keep comparing uh, uh, Drew to maybe some of the other young quarterbacks around the league. I'll say this about uh, how things in my mind work in this league. It's when you're fresh and you're new onto the scene. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to try and have a game plan to slow that type of quarterback down. But with Drew, him playing those five games at the end of last year, teams had a chance to get a little bit of tape on him and figure out, okay, he, maybe he doesn't like this. Maybe this gives him struggles we're seeing it now for the last couple of weeks where the same things are giving him trouble. And until he figures out a way to correct that teams are just going to continue to do this, you know? And I, I agree when pressure comes directly at him, he's got a tendency to backpedal, throw off of that back foot foot. And, you know, until he figures out, a way to maybe read these things a little bit better pre-snap, which only comes with experience um, until he figures out a way to, you know, okay, I think this pressure is coming from this way. We need a hot route here. We need to be able to adapt with the flow of the game, you know, until he learns not to lock in on one guy and just try to snipe a ball in there until he figures those things out. These mistakes are going to continue to happen.
3: Yeah and you know there are times when he has figured it out I think that like I think it was in the fourth quarter on one of the final drives he had pressure immediately and looked to Noah Fant and Noah Fant hadn't turned around and hit him in the back I don't I don't know if uh, Noah was the designated hot route on that player, or if Drew was just throwing it away but thought that was decent awareness and I will say the other thing about pressure Phil is that Drew has a tendency when there's pressure to either roll out or in recent weeks, throw the ball away or just kind of, uh, kind of bail out anytime there's pressure. Some of the great quarterbacks, Phil, they don't take unnecessary sacks. They don't take unnecessary hits, but they know when it's time to stand in the pocket and throw the ball and take the hit. I'm not sure I've really seen Drew do that all that much, where he kind of decides. Steps
2: up hey, into the pocket.
3: Well, and say, hey, I might get hit here, but I'm going to deliver this 40-yard bomb down the field to to Jerry Judy like we see great quarterbacks know when to do that and I haven't seen maybe that ability to kind of it seems like he's still judging on when do I it's either I have a clean pocket and I throw it or I get out of there and I throw it away and there's no middle ground where the pocket's collapsing and it's mm-hmm. tight and you find a way to make a play from in the pocket and that's that's necessary I think to take the next step
2: I was going to say he did connect on one where it was the roughing a penalty passer where he stepped into a throw and then he took a lick underneath his helmet yeah. there and he got they got an additional fifteen yards yeah, I think that' a was great example time right
3: yeah, great example of what you should do and you know yeah. what you don't see maybe all that often um, yeah I, I just I'd like to see him continue to make strides there and that well that
2: kind of reminds me of when I, I was talking to Rich Ganon a couple of weeks ago name drop but uh uh talking to him he said it's easy for somebody to tell drew that you know hey you need to hang in there the pocket's not as it's not collapsing as fast as you think there's time if you step up into the pocket but when you're taking the kind of hits drew was taking you understand why maybe he's a lot more hesitant to do that Yeah. so uh I don't know. I, where does that leave us here, Eric? I mean, where do you feel like this team is at this point? Where do you feel like we we are with Drew, like what, you know, you don't want to say it's overreacting to one game, because I think there is a bit of a pattern here ever since he really got back into the lineup where, you know, even that Patriots game, it was a bunch of field goals, you know what I mean? So like, it's a bit of a pattern here where they're struggling to put up significant amount of points.
3: Yeah. And, you know, ideally he turns it around and he looks much, much better. Um, And, you know, you feel happy and great about the end of the year. And that's all, uh, you know, perfect. If it works out that way, I think the more likely situation is that there's some more struggles, that there's some games that look okay and promising and that there's some games that are, are poor again. I mean, you still gotta go to Kansas City. You're playing a really good Miami defense if Drew's able to play, uh, you're playing a Buffalo team that's strong. You still gotta play the Raiders again, even though it's at home. So still some tough matchups on the schedule. But Phil, I you know, kind of always look at it. what else is out there? What are the what are the alternatives? And mm-hmm. the alternatives are you trade for a guy that maybe isn't, you know, if the if the Jets decide to draft Trevor Lawrence number one if he's available is Sam Darnold a guy that gets moved or there is there a veteran quarterback available or are you looking at taking another quarterback in the mid first round or like the late the late uh early digits where a Justin Fields and a Trevor Lawrence are gone I mean to me or do you say hey the offensive system isn't working and you need to figure out something there I mean to me Phil those alternatives are just not there's no guarantee among those alternatives and so i still think well maybe uh drew's chances of becoming the next john elway like some people hoped initially with his like gunslinging style of play and mobility while well, well, maybe that is seeming increasingly unlikely doesn't mean that he still might not be your best option next year depending on how things play out
2: yeah i mean i uh, it's a what a blur of your NFL career, right? Like you come in, you have five good games, you go four and one, albeit if you heard what Fangio said there a little bit earlier, it's not like he was lighting it up, but they were winning games. There was a different feel about Drew at the end of last season; he was having fun, and then you come in this year, you don't have any off season, you don't have a preseason, all you have are these training camp practices with a new offensive coordinator, and you injure your shoulder, and you flash you know fast forward to this point, and people are talking about you just being done you know it's uh i don't know i i I would tend to say I'm willing to be more patient with drew even after what's happened here but but um at the end of this season, we'll know
3: I well, guess the, what,
1: what
2: it'll be what it comes down to
3: yeah, and um I think it'd be easier and the schedule has been tough all year and it will be tough again next year because you play the AFC North and those teams look good. But if, if you were somehow four and four, uh, four and five, or, you know, whatever, closer to 500 instead of three and six, it would be a little bit easier to stomach. And instead you're three and six for the fourth consecutive year. And it kind of feels like, well, has anything changed, you know, and outside of having a much better core of young talent, the record has not changed. And so that makes it more difficult to kind of stick with the process.
2: Yeah. And I would say that yesterday's game felt a little bit different in the sense that one, it never became really competitive late. um, And the Broncos sort of just uh, were never really in that game. And then on top of that, there was some sloppiness there where, you know Tim Patrick got ejected at the end of the game for some chippy play there was a 1.9 guys on the field on defense Malik Reed ran on was a 10th guy and then they ran the play and then there was one point where they had to call a timeout because there were 12 guys on the field so like yesterday's game and i agree with Vic all around just was not it, it felt different a little bit yesterday Whereas last year, even if they were losing games, other than that Chiefs game, really, it felt like at least things were sound. Things were solid, um, but they were losing. You know, this one felt a little bit different yesterday, and we'll have to see. It's going to be a big test coming up uh, here with the Dolphins game. Erica, one last thing I wanted to talk about with regard to the game, and that is running the football. People, I think, are easy to point to the final box score and say, hey, Philip Lindsay only had four carries. But within the confines of that game, it's not like uh, Melvin Gordon was getting a ton of carries and they were just ignoring Phil. The running game, one, with the way time of possession was going in that second half, never had an opportunity to really get going. And in the first half, Melvin Gordon was breaking a ton of tackles. It's not like those were like easy running lanes he was going through.
3: No, I thought Melvin Gordon was impressive, maybe. You know, he had that 100-yard game against the Jets, but this is a much better defense. So I think you could argue it was his most impressive half of the season. And you're right, Phil. A lot of it – I mean, there's so much chatter today about how many times Drew Locke threw the football. And, hey, he threw the ball 25 times in the first half, and he threw it, uh, you know, 47 times overall. And what's going on with that? Well, he threw the ball eight times on the last drive as you were running a two-minute offense. So really – In the first half, he threw it 16 times under normal game play. And then, of course, by the time you get your second possession of the uh, second half, you're already down 14 points, and that skews all the running, your ability to run the ball and kind of keep a balanced approach. Um, So that's kind of the first thing is that it devolved into him throwing the ball almost 50 times, but that's not how they played for the majority of the first half and even really – when they had their first opportunity in the second half, they, you know, they were pretty balanced there. I think they, yeah, know, they ran at one time, lost three yards immediately, which obviously hurts and then two incompletions, but Phil, overall, you also can't complain about the Broncos run it on first down, run it on second down and then throw it on third down. You can't complain about that and want them to be more aggressive. And then when they, I think they threw it on their first five first downs, Phil on in the, uh, in the first half and it was working. You were moving the ball. It was efficient. You were keeping the defense on your toes, but you can't, you can't complain about one thing. And then when they do the opposite, you can't complain about that too. I get that that's part of being a fan, but I thought that that balance was okay in regards to Phillip in particular. I mean, his first couple opportunities, he didn't do anything with it. I know he ran the ball only four times and some of that is blocking, but when you're going backwards and Melvin Gordon is breaking tackles and, Uh, getting free and picking up hard to earn yards and, and Phil, Philip Lindsay is dropping passes when he's getting the opportunity to contribute in the passing game, which he did at the end of last week and again, early this week, you know, it's hard to then say he's got to be on the field a lot more.
2: I agree with you, Eric there. There, uh, In fact, there were a couple of times where the Broncos ran the ball and I was like, what are you doing? You know, that was a little bit puzzling. I thought Melvin Gordon was breaking some incredible tackles. That game was a very physical game in terms of the Raiders' defense versus the Broncos' offense. And that's something that we've talked about a little bit, Eric, is who's dictating the terms of play. The Raiders' defense definitely was there because it was a physical game. A couple of times when Phil got the ball, he was blasted right away and had no opportunity to show off his speed. So that gets to, okay, well, what kind of offense is this? What's your identity? Because I would say if, there, if it was possible, they could have tried to get Phil out in space and use his speed and do those things. But the way the game was being played, it was really physical. And when it's that kind of play, you want Melvin Gordon back there. He's much more likely to break tackles and spin away and get an extra, you know, couple of yards falling forward versus Philip Lindsay. I mean, that's just a fact. The best way to use Philip Lindsay is if there's some nice running lanes where he can burst through there. And he's really great at taking like an eight yard carry and busting that to 35. That's where his real talent lies. His talent lies in catching the ball in space and bursting for a huge touchdown. Those opportunities just for whatever reason weren't there. The Broncos could not dictate that in the terms of this game, the Raiders really definitely set the tone with their hitting. Um, here's what Vic Fangio had to say about uh, the lack of carries for Philip Lindsay on Monday.
1: You know, we were trying the run yesterday, didn't always work out well. And then, uh, you know, we had the two-minute drive at the end of the half, you know, so a good bit of that is throwing. And, and then we start off with a couple three-and-outs in the second half, and we ran it one of the two first, down, the first and second-down plays. And then after that, we, uh, you know, we got behind and, you know, so that you're not going to get a lot of opportunities in the run game when you're behind and we weren't getting a lot of opportunities early either because we weren't successful with it. So no doubt that a a better run game would, um, would help any quarterback.
2: Those are all the points that we just made here. You know, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That doesn't sound like an excuse, you know, Eric, that sounds like legitimate. And sometimes, you just got to execute, you know, and when you're not executing, you can't go back to that.
3: Yeah. And I mean, just to go back, I think the Broncos identity should be sort of this, this quick passing team on first down, because, you know, you realize at this point, maybe you're not as good at run blocking as you want to be. Um, And so can you get the ball to Noah Fant? Can you get the ball to Jerry Judy? Can you get the ball to KJ Hamler? And it doesn't have to be, 25-yard passes, or it doesn't have to be when it's third and 10. It can be when it's first and 10. And, hey, a six-yard gain to Noah Fant, that's a perfect first down play. And, you know, you look at what they did on that that first – or the second drive, nine yards to Noah Fant on first down, then 14 to Tim Patrick on first down, then 17 to Jerry Judy on first down. Then it kind of stalled out. But, I mean, you look at what happened later in the, in the first quarter. They had first down – it's first and 10 and Philip Lindsay loses four yards on first down. And then Drew throws a pick on third on that uh, attempt to KJ Hamler. But yeah, Phil, I'm not going to criticize them for the way they handled the run game because guys have to take advantage of their opportunity. And, you know, we heard Philip Lindsay talk all off season about how he was going to be better in the passing game. And the truth is the last couple of weeks, Phil, he just hasn't been all that effective. I mean, he had a, a wide open catch against the Falcons that he probably could, have run for 25 yards and it hit him in the hands and he dropped it. Then there was another one this week, I believe that uh, was easy enough to catch. Wasn't able to make it. And it's clear that they don't, I don't know if they don't trust him in that situation or what the deal is, but they ran one screen this week and the screen game has really not been a part of the offense, but the screen went to Noah Fant. And so it's clear that for whatever reason, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon aren't being used in that way. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to, When I kind of look at the things that went wrong and the things to critique in this performance, the usage of Philip Lindsay is not super high on my list.
2: Eric, like going into this season, we thought that the Broncos had these weapons where they were going to say, "Okay, look, if you take away this, then we're going to burn you with this. If you take away that, we're going to hit you with this it doesn't seem like they've been able to use these weapons though in that fashion. I mean, if the Raiders are going to say, okay, we're going to play physical football and we're going to take away the running game. And, you know, because you're down or whatever, you're not going to run the ball. Well, Well, the Broncos haven't been able to hit over the top and have these huge plays for touchdowns or whatever, you know, or then, you know, if they're taking away the big play, they haven't been able to hit Noah fan for a lot of these medium yard plays for whatever reason. And sometimes like uh, you just wonder, like, gosh, like are they using some of these guys to the best of their ability? And, you know, not, I'm not talking about Phil Lindsay, but maybe in some of these other guys, you just wonder, okay, could they be doing more with some of these guys? And then you look at the final box score and I know that's not really an accurate description of the game, but you know, you just figure like, gosh, like Noah Fant just didn't really have a huge impact on that game. The way, like when you face one of these elite tight ends, you know, I do, you just wonder why, why haven't we seen that?
3: Yeah. Some of that could be what the defense is doing to take away what they may consider the top option. Uh, you know, Darren Waller only had three catches for 37 yards as well. So, uh, and Noah ended up with three catches for 18. So, I kind of thought he was going to be a big focal point based on what we saw early, but um, yeah, I mean, again, Jerry, Judy, a constant target, but I do think again, some of it's growing pains, but some of it's just uh, a lack of a- execution.
2: That's what I th- That's what I, I kind of getting down to is execution, because if you hit on these plays and you connect, that forces the defense to adjust and the Broncos have plenty of a weapons to make you pay for adjusting you know, to taking away different guys. They have plenty of weapons. So uh, as difficult as that was, Eric, I think we can take a deep breath here and let's get to some emails. Let's get to some voicemails. Let's get to NZ Nation. Eric, uh, we talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to uh, thank Mo Heat for sending in an email. This is a new emailer to the show. So thank you to Mo Heat. He says, hi, guys, love the show, appreciate both of your points of view. I had," He says he hadn't put as much uh, high hopes as fans and media did on this team, but uh, he did think that Drew Locke displayed the confidence needed to be a starting cue. I like that, Mohit, starting cue. He says, now looking back at the last three games, though, I'm beginning to question that confidence. Um he kind of said that, you know, uh, Locke has admitted some of that, you know, and even in some of his press conferences, but he seems a little bit rattled is what Mohit says. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, he says, Mohit says, I'm not losing hope, but in your professional opinion, and if you're looking for a professional opinion, you've come to the right place. Is this an early sign that he might not be the term long answer?
3: Um You know, I think it more has to do with how he responds. You know, I do think it's clear. I asked Vic Fangio that on Monday. Is this more mental or or physical? And he said they go hand in hand. Uh, I think it just it's more about at this point, how does he respond? Can he prevent one four interception game from becoming another and and turn things around? Because that's what the really good quarterbacks do is they don't let one of those uh, become a second one.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's where your confidence comes into it, where you say, okay, I I forget about that interception. Boom. We go on to uh, the next one. Bang. You just keep rolling. And uh, uh, I do think that there's some confidence there. So, all right, let's get to our next emailer. Uh, Eric, I don't know if this guy is related to you. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, But this is from John Jornad. Okay. He says... um, he did not like what I had to say about maybe benching drew Locke um a couple of weeks ago, uh even though I didn't say that. I just said I would have understood if the quarter if the coaches wanted to bench him I, that's all I said. just want to okay. reiterate that but uh uh Eric, I wanted to get to uh, the last part here of his uh his email. He says it was fun to find out more about Eric from North Carolina, but a Colts fan Manning fan. Why not a Carolina Panthers fan? They've been around since 1993. I think their first Super Bowl appearance was when they got blown out by Denver. Uh, not accurate, but uh, um, whatever. Uh, I'd love to hear more about their uh, – f- he says he calls you favorite newscaster.
3: You love local news, Phil, so that probably kind of cuts you to the core. He so says apologies. he's your
2: favorite newscaster, period, not local
3: yeah, so you're upset because um, you love the news in general. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, maybe Anderson Cooper, Bob Costas. There's a lot of uh, good competition out there's there. There's a so lot of I options out there, but I, you're his guy. I appreciate that, John. Lo- loyal listener. As far as I know, that's not one of my uh, collegiate friends, but it's, it's possible. It is. Um, we'll have to get some proof of identification from John. Uh, I think he's looking a, for an
2: autobiography from you or something. Yeah,
3: well, that'll be coming out soon. Uh, ben Swanson, podcast supervisors, editing it as we speak. <laughs> um, yeah, The Panther's around since the 90s. I, of course, wasn't born until 2008, so doesn't have a lot to, <laughs> to do with uh, that he's choice. He's kidding,
2: but, John. He's kidding.
3: Um, no, my, my dad swam at the University of Tennessee, as you know, Phil, and Peyton Manning attended the University of Tennessee, so everyone in Knoxville basically roots for Indianapolis and for Peyton. Got it. Uh, that's, that's the only book preview you get for now. You have to Got pay it. for the full, for the full copy.
2: Maybe uh, when the book comes out, we can do a whole podcast just dedicated to, you know, your life and uh, what happened. Yeah.
3: So that'd be nice.
2: If there are any emailers who want to know about my background, I'd be happy to just open up and just divulge everything. But um
3: pure-blood Italian.
2: I have not. Nobody's asking for that, so I just I don't say it.
3: You were born in the hills of Sicily, weren't you?
2: (laughs) Not quite that far south. Got it. We'll see. Um, John uh, later on emailed, uh, this was on Saturday, and said that uh, he was watching the Atlanta game again, and he wanted to know about that intentional grounding on Drew Locke there, the ball hit an Atlanta player first before hitting the ground. They never really went in to explain that, but Eric, what is the rule there? Um, if it hit a player, shouldn't it have not been intentional grounding?
3: Yeah, that's correct. If it, if it hits somebody and is deflected like that, it shouldn't have been intentional grounding. I think they just must have missed that it hit somebody because the rule is if you're in the in the tackle box, essentially between the left and right tackle, you just have to – you don't have to get it past the line of scrimmage. You just have to throw it toward a receiver. There has to be a receiver in the area, and they're kind of, you know, that's a judgment call. If you roll out, then you don't have to throw it to a receiver, but you have to uh, get it past the line of scrimmage so that you can't just be, you know, they don't want you about to take a sack, and then you just toss it a foot away, which it kind of seemed like Drew tried to do at one point against the Raiders, um, and, and in that case against Atlanta. He was out of the tackle box, did not get it back to the line of scrimmage. But if they had seen that it hit somebody, it uh, maybe that should be a new strategy, Phil. You just peg somebody in the head with it.
2: It could be because obviously if it hits an Atlanta player, it never had an opportunity to get to the line of scrimmage. So yes. um, therefore, how could it?
3: it makes me think, you think.
2: <laughs> Eric, that's why you're John's favorite newscaster that kind well, okay. of expertise. So um, if you would like to uh, have your email featured on the show, just email neutralzoneshow show at gmail.com. That's neutralzoneshow show at gmail.com. And uh, we'll read your email on the air. We can, uh, you can also leave a voicemail 707 neutral and uh, Jeff Flanagan, He is a regular caller. We appreciate Jeff for calling in. I just wanted to play both of his voicemails here to give you an idea of the impact yesterday's loss had on the fan base. Because this first voicemail came before the game. So here's what Jeff was thinking before the game. Phil with a Ph. fills everything.
0: This is Jeff Flanagan with a Ph.D. in optimism. That's right. By the time we get to Kansas City on December sixth, we got a chance to be six and five above five hundred and making a serious run in the playoffs. At that time, I expect all of us, both of you and all the Broncos country, to be lounging around in Drew Lock Jersey's Stitched Drew Lock Jersey's so okay, we're all in on this. Because in the next three weeks we got something approved, and I think that turnaround
2: starts today can't wait to see how it goes. I want whatever Jeff is eating for breakfast, okay? Yeah. Because that gets you going in the morning. He has a Ph.D. in optimism, Eric.
3: You like that? I thought he said Ph.D. in awesomeness. Did he say optimism?
2: I thought it was optimism.
3: Either way, both good things to get a Ph.D. in. He says
2: 6-5 and heading into that Chiefs game. That means wins over the Raiders, Miami, and New
3: Orleans. Yeah. that's what uh, he no, saw no longer possible
2: this is his voicemail after the game hey guys Jeff
0: another tough one um, I think it's too hard to overcome those mistakes for sure I know there's going to be a lot of overreaction but I'm still excited about this roster curious to hear you guys' thoughts on the fourth and one that opened up the second quarter uh, I don't know if I missed something or not, but I feel like there should have been a measurement there before we decided to take the penalty and punt uh, or allow the Raiders to punt. So let me know what you think. Uh, still looking forward to things. I think we're you know, we not out of it yet, but it's, it's not looking great, that's for sure. Talk to you guys later. Love the show.
2: Jeff, as always, we really appreciate your phone calls, uh, something I look forward to every Monday here on the show. Um, a little bit less enthusiasm in that second voicemail, Eric.
3: Yeah, poor guy. You can just kind of hear the life sucked out of him. It's, uh, yeah. it's tough.
2: Uh, the fourth and one, though, uh, Eric, F- Vic Fangio kind of explained that a little bit on Monday, said that the initial placement, the spot of the ball gave the Raiders a first down. He thought about challenging that play, but people upstairs in the booth said, look, it's not – uh uh it's not going to be conclusive that he was short so take the penalty let him punt and obviously special teams was uh, uh and and the starting field position was a problem.
3: Yeah, I do wonder um and I don't know the mechanics of could you challenge it and then if it didn't, you know, if it wasn't short, could you then accept the penalty? I'm not quite sure on how that works. If that were the case, you know, if you could challenge it and then if it if it was a first down, then you could accept the penalty. I think that's worth giving up a timeout and kind of seeing what the, uh, you know, but I, I do get it. it was a close game at that point. Maybe you don't want to waste a challenge, um, so, I, but you're right. You know, special teams, there were some issues, obviously. The the first Deontay Spencer return was just awful, uh, a bad decision. Devontae Harrison runs into Deontay Spencer, which was also bad. This one was more of just a, a nice play, I thought, by the Raiders.
2: You know, what I was wondering was I was wondering if you could ask for a measurement and the amount of time that it takes to get an official measurement, you'd have more of a chance to see the replay a little bit. And then you wouldn't have to be as rushed to make that decision on the spot. So maybe that's one thing they could have done there. Anyway, thank you for uh, the voicemails there. If you'd like to leave a voicemail again, it's 707 neutral. Uh, Always happy to play our fans voicemails uh, here on the air.
3: Phil Jeff also wrote in via email earlier in the week and uh, said, as you get ready for another round of fact, fact, P-H-A-C-T, which I really like, or fiction, uh, he noted that the CBS broadcast was also incorrect about Drew Locke's fourth quarter stat line against the Chargers. But I liked this. He said, good luck, Eric. Pick the most egregious lie today. So <laughs> I'll do my best to do that when we play uh, fact or excuse me, two truths, one lie later in the uh, fact
2: week. fact fact
3: yeah fact fact or fiction i think we might have to call it that from, from now on
2: <laughs> exactly that's a good that's a good line maybe jeff uh, will uh, will pick that up so Uh, Anyway, uh, thank you for uh, all the emails and voicemails from uh, NZ Nation here. I think that's going to wrap up this episode of the Neutral Zone. Broke down Drew Locke a little bit and some of the the running game. Let us know what you think. Maybe leave a comment on YouTube. We'll be back later in the week to discuss all things Dolphins and uh, maybe an update on Drew Locke's injured ribs. See if he'll be ready to go this week or not. Until then... For Eric Delala, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to
3: The, the Neutral Zone. Zone.